powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. What makes a great head coach? I mean, if you want to point to stability, Pete Carroll has that. Outside of Tomlin and Belichick and Reed, he is the longest tenured coach in the NFL. Been here since 2010, so he's at least got that going for him. Let's figure out what else, though, because there are two schools of thought when it comes to Pete Carroll. One from younger players and one from older players who have gone through his system. From younger players, we know that Pete Carroll is pretty cool. Here's what Tariq Wan has to say. Dude, that dude, I love him, man. Yeah, He's the best person Really? Ever been around, bro. Just, he's a player's coach. 100%. That's awesome. And just he's so, like, in-depth with football. He's so in tune. You know what I mean? Like, the dude's been around the game so long, and he's just like, he just, I don't know, bro. The way he even runs our team meetings, like, he don't run it like a head coach. He run it like a game show host. You know, he comes <laughs> in there with the little thing. He look at it real quick. He put it down. Five minutes go by, look at it again, boom. And then he be like, all right. Today, uh, we need to know what's going on in the world. Here's what's <laughs> up with the uh, Golden State Warriors. Boom, he walk out the way and thing pops up on the screen. Highlights of the Go Golden State Warriors, Warriors come on. That's crazy. Boom, lights come on, screen comes off, he comes back. He's like, today is competition Wednesday. Like, it's going to be like two coaches or like two players. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, shoot off, like shoot off, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then like, boom, we got to shoot off. Like, G1B1, shoot off. That. Yeah auditorium gets loud. We on Thursdays have um, the huddle where me, you, and Dave Lyman are out there. And even when we're prepping, when they're having these meetings and it's like nine in the morning, you can hear music bumping. You can hear players yelling and screaming and cheering. And uh, it's a really, really fun environment. However, we also know that there have been players who have left this program and uh, maybe not burn bridges I mean with the case of some players but certainly felt like that messaging was getting stale I don't need all of this what you're giving to these these young guys to get them ready you know how I'm cut you know how I'm wired I ain't got to say on Sunday you know what you're gonna get out of me and then I'm gonna do what I need to do to get to next Sunday now let's be cool with that but that's what what I was saying. saying It's the same. It was so repetitive. I know it was the same. It was like no turnover Tuesday, <laughs> something Wednesday, uh, uh, something uh, Thursday. Uh, uh, but it's like that's what I'm saying. But after four or five years of this, you got vets that's be looking like, bro, I need something. I else. OK, now I get what the last voice you heard was Lendale White is saying about, hey, for veterans, you need something else because you're going to come in as a rookie and hear that messaging and think, wow. Wow, this is cool. And then when you hear the same thing for four years, five years, and you see friends get cut and you see the business side of it, you start thinking, do you mean it? Like, do you mean what you're saying to me? I need something else. I think that that is just the natural evolution of what being a player's coach is. That's the natural evolution of becoming a grown man with kids and bills and you you got other things on your mind. When you get into the NFL, you're happy to be here. You're taking in every single moment. You're on your first contract. You're just trying to start. You're trying to make plays. And then as you spend time in this business, and as you see guys come and go, as you see how cutthroat this business is, as you see that coaches will smile in your face one minute and then cut you the next, mm-hmm. you get jaded a bit. That's the natural evolution of life. I remember when I first got to college, I thought things were just gravy, and the coaches loved everyone on this team. Then I slowly see if you're not making plays, they ain't going to talk to you like they talk to you when they're sitting on your couch trying to recruit you. Mm-hmm. That's just what happens. So I can understand 
the Tariq Woolen perspective because he come from University of Texas, San Antonio, fifth round pick. Now he's in the NFL with a coach who he feels really cares about him. And then I understand the pr- perspective of that was Lindell White, mm-hmm. Lindell White, where he's like, and, and Marshawn, we're like, we don't need this to get going. So if you don't need that to get going, I get it because everyone has their own ways of getting ready for practice, getting ready for games. Then that message just isn't for you. I think at that point of your career, you just do what you got to do to get ready. But 80% of your team, 70% of your team are young men who are eating this message up and getting ready to practice and Well, play. look at what he was able to do this year. We heard John Schneider on the first John Schneider show with Wyman and Bob say that he thinks that Pete's greatest strength outside of everything that he does as a head coach, that his single greatest strength is getting guys to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at what he did with Gino, right? Getting someone to believe, like, I'm the starter. I'm going to do this. I'm great. I can accomplish this. And Gino was a pro bowler. Now, that's talent that Gino has, right? Uh, Pete Carroll didn't come out here like Demi Moore or whatever and ghost and craft Gino from clay. Like, Gino was a gifted player who needed someone, apparently, in my opinion, to believe in him and push him and give him the opportunity to be a starter without, you know, Russell Wilson looking over his shoulder or anyone looking over his shoulder. I think that that messaging works to tap into guys and to get them to believe in themselves. That This is my thought on it, Bump. I think what happens is a very natural human response. So when you've seen players like Earl Thomas or Richard Sherman or Doug Baldwin or Cam Chancellor kind of exit this program for whatever reason, I think that anytime there has been a strained relationship with Pete Carroll, it's because – When you are younger, you believe that someone believes in you and it feels good and it feels validating and it's something that you crave. Like you want someone to believe in you and you question when you're older if that belief is true or if that belief is just because you were a tool to win. Like I wonder if that's some of the literal like the psychological process of it. But ultimately you won and that's what the sport's about, you know. So is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. And – Here's the thing, man. You're dealing with 80 different personalities and ages 22 to 35. Everyone's at a different part in their life. You can be 23 and live a different lifestyle. I know 23-year-olds with a couple kids already, and they're going home. I know 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds with no kids, and they're going out. So the job of a of a quarter, excuse me, as a head coach is to try to tap into something with all these guys. So what I'm hearing, at least with these guys, because we've heard veterans say the opposite about Pete and say, all right, man, he's awesome. We love him. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing with these guys is that Pete just wasn't able to tap in at their, that certain part of their career. Um, and it's it's OK for them to feel that way. You know, it feels like it seems like at that point of their career, maybe they needed an Andy Reid. Maybe they needed a Bill Belichick. But you got a Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll. One thing that you we hear about him all the time is that when they're young, he gets it, he taps in, he motivates them, he gets them going. My, my issue is, is just as, as an adult, as a, as an older man, you know, what gets you going, Mm -hmm. you know how to motivate yourself. I knew as a practice squad guy, as a guy who was fighting to make the team every single day that I, I wasn't going to be able to sit in that locker room and joke and laugh every single day. Because practice was a game for me. I knew that I needed to. I could have my relationships and talk and stuff. And I can listen to the message that the coach is saying. He's standing up there. There's a message. It ain't for me. It's for the dudes who are going to play 70 snaps a game. 
My message I get out of that is you better be ready to go. So what do I do? I go to my locker room. I put my headset on. I get in the zone like it's game day. That's what I needed to do to get going. So it sounds like these guys wanted more out of Pete. They wanted him to connect where they were in their career. And maybe that's where Pete fails a bit because we're hearing all these stories. I see it as I respect all those dudes, man. I, I've I've known uh, Marshawn, Lindell, all those dudes and respect them. They did more than me in this game that I could ever dream of. But it sounds like they needed him and and he felt they felt like he wasn't able to connect with them. And is it Pete's fault? Maybe it's fault for not recognizing it. But I also think that as grown men, as the top top of the league in your profession, you got to find ways to get going, man. Uh, there's more from this that's going to be uh, a branch off into that conversation. Let's start with um, with this one, and it's just a question posed by Brandon Marshall that kind of got us going in the sports pit. Brandon Marshall is asking if Pete is a legendary manipulator or a legendary coach. So is he a legendary coach or a legendary manipulator? He's both, for sure. <laughs> he said he's both. He, no, he's both, because you don't... What I've learned is like... That's cool. You know, it's it's hard to be a coach. Yeah. You dealing with so many persons. You dealing with you dealing with fifty three people that just got millions yeah. of dollars. Then when you good as he? No, you got to give it to me. One, I can't because he he, he okay. know how to do it. You just seen it. To, we just seen it with our. We witnessed it this year with our own eyes. Everybody thought that the Seattle was gonna fall out. They wasn't gonna be without Russ. Huh. He made Geno believe. You see what I'm saying? Because he, he that's that. that that manipulate that's makes is. you He's turn into a. Gangster on the field. Yeah. He is a psychologist. He knows so is, he a, is he a master manipulator yeah. or master coach? He's what is a he? psychologist. Oh, God. He yeah, he knows something. I, ain't that, right? I mean, what if coaches are master manipulators, at least players' coaches? I mean, we all like to paint a coach in the NFL like he's like everyone's uncle or whatever, everyone's grandpa, but like. Guess what, man? It's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and it's about winning. And it, it, sometimes a great coach is someone who can manipulate players, but you're not manipulating them to do bad things. You're manipulating them into win because that's your sole job. That's exactly what they're doing. That's, that's what their I'm job saying. is to manipulate. I'm. I, my job is to get you ready to get you to believe that you can even play better than what what I think you can. Coaches watch film, especially on the lower levels. In the NFL, I think anyone has a chance. But you, you go down to the, the high school and college level, you know when you're out, man, when you're out, gun. But you know what? If you can get guys to believe in themselves and get going, then you're going to get performances out of them like you never have before. Look at Tariq Woolen. If Tariq Woolen went to a situation where he didn't have a coach to pump that belief and that faith in him, is he going to be an all uh, a pro bowler this year? Does he have six interceptions? Maybe. But you hear the way that Tariq talks about him because he's in that nurturing stage of his career. Like He needs to be nurtured. He needs to be groomed. He needs to be pumped in with belief. Like I do it to my kids all the time. You're going to be great. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. So they start to believe it because you get performances out of that. Now, Pete Carroll wasn't that, and he was just straight to the point, and he catered to these veterans. Maybe the veterans play better longer, and then maybe you don't get the support that you that you get from these rookies. But this is a young man's game. This is not a 30-year-old man's game. There are guys who play this game until they're 30, 35, and all that. Good for them. But this is a young man's game. So Pete has to look at the audience and say, 70% of these dudes are on a minimum wage contract. or are only getting paid about a million dollars a year. Uh, they're not going to be in this league for long. If I can get these guys to perform out of their minds and support the guys who are established mm-hmm. already, who have been there, done that, rushed 4,000, 100 tackles, then boom, we're going to win some ball games. So I think that's where he's coming from. But there's a human factor, and clearly those guys' feelings are hurt. Clearly, 
Pete Carroll made them feel a certain way as, as a young guy. And as an older guy, uh, the message just wasn't for them anymore. But I, I just said as a, as, a, as a grown man... Do your job. Well, it's kinda, a job now. That's kind of why I want more insight. Like, I want to know, like, yeah. okay, was Pete's message getting stale because you were hearing the same message in a big meeting with all the guys? Or was it because you felt like as you got older and had these one-on-one conversations or one-on-one meetings that he wasn't changing or growing or speaking to you, right? Like, mm-hmm. what what is it? Did you did you outgrow those private conversations where you felt like, oh, like, wow, I thought you saw me and you didn't? Or is it that you're in these big meetings where it sounds the same? Because if it's a if it's a big meeting, maybe that's not for you in that moment. Maybe, maybe Pete isn't thinking this person needs to hear it. He's thinking this group of rookies needs to exactly. hear it. And this excitement needs to happen and this exactly. fun needs to happen. And, like, that's what I've always been curious about because sometimes what it sounds, and I don't want to speak for any of these men who have experiences that I don't have insight to. As it sounds on the outside is sometimes what it is, is just this romantization, romanticizing of life that just ends when you get older, regardless of industry, regardless of where you are, regardless of your job, that there are just things that you realize as you get older that aren't fun and aren't exciting and are sometimes like a gut punch, right? and. So is that what it is or is it it's a, something specific? With it's you? a marriage. I've been with my wife 15 years, Stacy Rost. Do you think that I am and we are as lovey-dovey, happily no. holding hands well, hang running on, around? Hang on, hang on, hang on. First... Wait a minute. I did see that Jen wrote on your lunchbox the other day. Yeah. A sweet little message that's for you. That's what's up. So I appreciate still, that. Still but it's not, it's not the same. Stace, I used to write her novels. Oh, yeah, just the way that you walk and blah, 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 blah. She used to hit me back <laughs> with him. She used to come to my job and, and have <laughs> bring me lunch and do all, the, all this stuff where it's like, okay, it's fresh, it's new, but then life happens. Then you have a kid. Then you have three under five. Now you're running a business together. I hardly see you. I got three hours to connect with you throughout the day. So you start to adjust and you realize, okay, that doesn't mean that person doesn't love me or care about me the same way. It's just that life happens and things change. You know who needs the love now? Who needs all the focus? These dang kids. All right. So you pour into them. Yeah. Like Pete pours into these young fellas, man. So uh, let me get is. to some more of this. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Let's go to Lendale White. Uh, Lendale White, I'm going to play back to back cuts. First, he calls Pete a master manipulator. And then we came, 2003 was me, Reggie, 16 All-Americans. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But the thing the thing we found out about my guy was that he just he's a master manipulator. He knows what to do. So he was different in college than he was in the pros? Yes, because it was a new speech to the, the, the uh, you know, kids in college. We ain't never heard this speech. But three years later, it's the same. Are you like... Bro, what are you? You just said that shit last year. What are you talking about? At least, like, give me something different to where I can buy in. Again, if it works, I don't really get it. But hey, okay, so then White says, look, here's as far as my own personal relationship with Pete is what he's talking about here. He says that he uh, found out he was cut and fa- and felt that Pete, who had known him since he was a teenager, owed him a phone call. I landed here, Vegas, for Memorial Weekend. As I'm going in and where we can hard rock, I go to the hard rock and I'm looking, my name scrolling on ESPN. No way. Oh God. I'm like, I called Drew Rosenhaus immediately. He said, oh man, you gotta call Pete. I don't know what the f- going on. 
right? This is your guy from college. This is my, co- I've been knowing this man for my whole, you know, this is a dude that you think that, this is how I know what kind of guy he is, because you would think that at least, I don't give a damn, nobody owes you nothing in this game, but you would think that somebody that you've been knowing, you know, since you were 17 years old, he knows your mom, your grandma, that, you know. He sat it in your living room. Yeah. Real talk. So in Denver. Think, you would think there was some type of, hey, man, you ain't handling the way it is. No, I get to Vegas. I look on the thing. I'm hanging out with you. Know how it is, Memorial Weekend. All the homies there. Everybody's here. Can you imagine? Imagine how that feel though. I mean, yeah, that probably felt horrible. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. Now, this is where I agree. Sure. You've known Lindell for how long? Since he was 17, and he, he deserves a phone call. He should not see that thing on the ticker before. Mm. So now that's now this is where I shift with them. I'm like, okay, because you are these veterans, you have that relationship with them. You've known them for so long. Yeah, you got to end relationships the right way. This is why I like the overall conversation. It's not, um, it's not necessarily about Pete the person or a personal thing about Pete. I like this conversation because it's about player coach, right? If you are a player coach. Uh, which I think most people would think that they'd prefer. What are the drawbacks to that? Well, the drawbacks are that you're kind of playing with fire. You're coming in, building personal relationships and instilling faith in these young men and saying, believe in me because I believe in you. Follow me because I think we can get there, right? Right. And you're making it very personal and you're tapping into a very personal part of people. And Pete is so good at doing that. Does it make him manipulative? No, I think it's just a skill that makes him adept at coaching in this really, really competitive industry where part of what makes your team good is getting guys to have confidence, right? Yeah. Everyone's talented. Is everyone confident? Is ever Does everyone believe in themselves? Does everyone have the ability to uh, work through an injury, work through a bad game, bounce back and, you know, communicate together and focus on a bigger purpose over themselves? Like that's the hard stuff with coaching. When you get into later parts of careers or when you get into moments like Super Bowl 49, when a player or many players look at you and say, why'd you do that? Then how do you handle it? Then what happens? Like, that's the flip side of it. Yeah. And to before we get out of here or switch it up to defend Lindell, someone said, oh, he's 17. He's acting like a child. There's a few people who deserve phone calls from Pete Carroll, mm-hmm. Lindell, Reggie, yeah. Mike Williams, yes. Mike uh, Leinart. All those dudes who helped create yes. what we think about Pete deserves a phone call. Absolutely. Uh, anyways, fascinating conversation. Uh, the full podcast is available. You can watch it on YouTube, actually. They're all sitting around talking about it. I preferred the streaming one. All right. Uh, let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one: The Seahawks have re-signed Phil Haynes to a one-year deal, and I believe they just made it official moments ago. Mm-hmm. Special teams captain Nick Ballore to a two-year deal. What's the real headline? Not every important move is a sexy one. Look, the team needed to be able to bring back some depth at guard, uh, especially, you know, if you don't know what they're going to do with Gabe Jackson. Now, Gabe Jackson, might he be a cap casualty? I don't know. Like, I don't ever want to call for anyone's job. So in anyone's case, I would hope not. But to me, bringing back Phil Haynes not only indicates, Curtis, you pointed this out the other day, that they can currently negotiate with players, but also that they are getting some insurance along their offensive line. Uh, Nick Ballore, I know you talked about this with four downs, is just a great guy to have on special teams. Yeah, uh, Phil Haynes was very serviceable 
as an interior lineman. Helped out Gabe Jackson. We'll see what happens there with that situation. Nick Ballore is a leader out there. He's a guy who keeps it light and fun, but will go out there and smack you on special teams. These are teams are made up of more Phil Haynes's and Nick Ballore's than DK Metcalf's and Tyler Lockett's. These are the guys who do the dirty work, who are the foundation of your team. They're not going to get all the glory, all the love, but you need these type of guys on your team. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, we've talked about it a couple times today, but the New York Post reporting that Apple TV has emerged as a potential landing spot for the Pac-12 and football in their ongoing media rights negotiations. What's the real headline? Fitting to join a platform with original series like Severance, Shrinking, and We Crashed. I don't love that connection. I'm going to have to watch now. Uh, I actually recommend Severance. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. The only thing I've ever watched on Apple TV is uh, when the Mariners... We're, uh, okay. we're broadcasting. That. I will say this. You never watched We've, Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso's great. Ted Lasso as well. Yeah. I was going to Yeah, I thought you did yeah, watch yeah, Ted, yeah, Lasso. Ted Lasso. I'll say this about Apple TV for when especially they've done uh, their baseball broadcasts is the quality, like the camera quality mm-hmm. is phenomenal. And I feel like when we've been talking about the Pac-12 and Apple Plus today, it sounds like we've been dogging them. But I am interested in the resources they will have as the only streaming football uh, option for pack for uh, Apple Plus. Yeah, that's a great point. Give me those angles. Was it um? It's was like Bryce Harper Harper was his uh, his moment? Was that oh Apple TV? God. I think that was Fox, but they used yes, that camera so that they used on the NFL broadcast yeah. where it's like the 8K camera. Yes. I need Have that. You I need that. Seen it with uh with like music over yeah, it or anything? The whole thing is it. it's just don't chills. even say nothing. Just play that chills. thing. In the movie of my life, if I were Bryce Harper, I would want that moment to be in it. Headline rewrites. Headline number three, Brock Purdy has been having inflammation in his elbow and doctors are recommending he postpone UCL surgery. What's the real headline? What's it look like when a great team doesn't have a quarterback? The 49ers are about to find out. Now, Bump, I didn't get to this point earlier, but the reason I made this the real headline isn't as a joke. Rather, it's to point out that Sometimes we have conversations about quarterbacking and we say, "Ah, does it really matter who you have if you have like a loaded roster? And I think with the 49ers, we've realized the answer is yes, you very much need a quarterback. (laughs) You, You very much need someone who can throw a forward pass. Yeah, you need you need them, and you need Brock Purdy. And over the past what six seven seasons, they've had two to three starters every season. Only one season in 2019 that Jimmy just played the whole season. There's something going on with the Niners and Brock Purdy. They're not going to figure out exactly what's going on until they open him up and get into that elbow. So you're hoping it's not reconstructive surgery. You're hoping it's just repair some type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, especially for Brock Purdy, man, he had a year. He proved to himself that he can play in this league. And the Niners probably thought they found a quarterback. Tough for the Niners, but it looks good for the rest of the division. Do you think they're cursed? First of all, do you believe in curses? I think I do. Curtis, do you believe in curses? Uh, only in the sports realm. Like you actually, you guys actually believe in curses. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Oklahoma City's never going to win an NBA title. <laughs> I've let <laughs> myself cursed. believe in it with the Mariners. Like I let myself believe the Mariners were truly cursed. It's a, a curse. It doesn't mean curses can't be lifted, though. True. Yes, good point. But sometimes I think that, like, the 49ers are cursed to perpetually have some kind of Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, they have uh, a ton of Super Bowls. And uh, the last one was in 96, 95. I don't know. I want to say 94. Why do I think 94? Um, But but they just have been so snake-bitten under Shanahan at quarterback specifically. And it's like, 
They've had so much talent. Are the Niners curse or a Shanahan curse because of that Super Bowl loss to ATL Shouty? That's a good point. Really good point. This hour of Bump and Stacey is brought to you by Muckle Shoot Casino. Coming up in NFL headlines, we've been talking about one streaming service all day, but let's talk about another one because Netflix just announced their first partnership with the NFL and it's bringing a new docu-series. That's next. Bump and Stacey. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Rost. Taking a look around the NFL here, let's start, well, I guess with the NFL as a whole. Netflix announced their first partnership with the league. Quarterback is the name of a new docuseries that will follow three quarterbacks on and off the field. Good news, we already know who those quarterbacks are, how the season ended, and when the film's coming out. So let's get to it. Season one will follow the 2022 seasons of Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota, which means you're going to have the full Super Bowl run for well, Patrick Mahomes. No spoilers, please. No, you're going to have the full Super Bowl run for Patrick Mahomes. You're also going to have uh, Kirk engineering the biggest comeback in NFL history. Holy. And then and then Tua uh, <laughs> dealing with the controversial ups and downs of Miami seasons. So Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Tua were mic'd up for every single game. Obviously filmed at every single game. And then um, they were also filmed behind the scenes at home. The project's coming out this summer. Man, what a great year to do it for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I just wish, here's the thing, I love me some mic'd up because it brings people inside the game. But if it's on Netflix, can I get that rated R? Can I get that uncut? Can I get that raw? I want to hear Something it all, man. Something tells me we're going to have like a, not like crazy, uh, you know, but it'll be family friendly with an edge, I think. Yeah, I need that well, edge. I mean, Kirk Cousins isn't going to swear. He's no, the son of a preacher. But I think that Marcus we're going Marcus Mariota is known as like one of the nicest dudes in the league. So it's up to Pat. Yeah, it's up to Pat, to, up to, Pat. to drop some F-bombs here and there. Uh, Not looking good. Not how looking about this good. one? Um, the new series is produced by, obviously, NFL Films, but also in partnership with Omaha Production, which is Peyton Manning's company, and 2PM Productions, which is the new production company started by Patrick Mahomes. What's that? It goes all the way to the top? Wow. And who won the Super Bowl this year, Bob? football. At it again. At it again. It's- the NFL out here engineering Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl for the release of their new show coming out in the mm. summer. I am calling Philadelphia right now. The mayor of Philly. I'm calling him or her immediately. They got the script. They got the they script. They got the script. They executed. Adrian knew. He knew. <laughs> or Arian. Was it Arian Foster or was it Adrian? It Arian was Foster. Arian, Arian yeah. Foster. Uh, he knew. When he said the scripts, this is what he meant. This we thought it. that he meant, you know, the NFL game scripts. He meant the quarterback new docuseries scripts. Anyways, I'm really excited for this, and uh, I think it's going to be really fun. The Titans have uh, cut a number of players. They've released uh, left tackle Taylor Lewan who um, has a podcast with Barstool, so maybe he's, like, venturing off into a new career. I don't know. Uh, Wide receiver Robert Woods, a.k.a. Bobby Trees, was also cut, as well as kicker Randy Bullock and linebacker Zach Cunningham. The team, by making these four cuts, is saving around $36 million in cap space. And what are they going to do with it? Start their own production company? Bump, what do you think? (laughs) Oh, Robert Woods, man. I don't know how expensive he's going to be. He's a veteran. He's been in the league since 2013. So he's probably going to... He's going to be expensive, but he could be a nice little second, third receiver for somebody out there. 53 receptions, 527, only two touchdowns. Wasn't working with an elite quarterback over there. I wonder why. Well, I know there's going to be some buyers out there. Who's it going to be? Yeah. Uh, coming into today, 
the Titans were $23 million over the cap. Mm-hmm. So this is a cost-cutting move. Mm-hmm. So now they've got like, what is it? $37 million was the number we settled on. So about $14 million in caps. Yeah. Um, guys, can I backtrack to the last story? I don't know why I wrote Tua. Yeah. Uh, it's Marcus Mariota. You didn't say you didn't write Tua. I saw it on the on the sheet. It was Marcus Mariota. For some reason I wrote, but in my own notes oh. below it, I wrote Tua, and then it threw me off. It's Marcus Mariota. So you're going to see Patrick <laughs> Mahomes win the Super Bowl. Kirk Cousins engineer the biggest comeback in NFL history, and also Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it's going to be pitched. That's how it is. No, I actually do like that. It's going to be the story of like uh, a former uh, top two pick who's getting back into it, trying to find his. Uh, his, you know, starter role again with another team and just like the hot mess that was the NFC South. Yeah, you got three different quarterbacks. You got the man, you got the pretender, because during the season he will ball out for you, he'll lose some games, and then you have the journeyman. He's had an interesting career, that Marcus Mariota. I messed it up. It's all good. No, I, I really dropped the ball, you guys. Curtis, I'm surprised you didn't yell at me. We got a lot going on back here. I know. Sorry, Curtis. Sorry. Okay, we'll get to the <laughs> next one here. Um, bump. You've talked about this one a little bit, but I'm going to jump back to it. And that's what the heck is going to happen with Dallas Cowboys running back Zeke Elliott. He headlines NFL's.com NFC players to keep an eye on in part because of his cat pit that he's going to have for the Dallas Cowboys coming up this season. His salary cap, uh, well, the Dallas, um, obviously the cap for everyone increased by $16 million, but he's still going to account for a huge part of that. Are they going to trade him? Are they going to find a way to release him? What's going to happen with Zeke? It's especially interesting considering what they have going on with Tony Pollard, who is a franchise tag candidate. That would be a fully guaranteed contract. But I believe the franchise tag for running backs is more like $10 million as opposed to the $16.7 million that is Zeke Elliott's contract, uh, excuse me, cap number. And something tells me he ain't going to do what Aaron Jones did and take a little pay cut and no, go from 16 to 10 or 11. No, I think you got to ride with, uh, with Pollard. He's clearly the better running back right now. Had it, well, was last season. I think you got to let Zeke go. And I think he's going to be some buyers out there. I mentioned the other day the Atlanta Falcons got some money to spend. They can do their thing. Houston Texans should be taking a look at anybody and everybody. And then maybe like a Baltimore type of situation over there, too. You team him up with J.K. Dobbins. I think he needs to have a, uh, a Robin to his Batman or a Batman into his Robin, Mm -hmm. but I'm definitely rolling with Tony. Yeah, well, they have, so this is just kind of like outlines it. NFL.com is like, look, the Cowboys are 7 million over the cap and they save about 6 million by releasing Zeke. So like you can solve one problem with Mm -hmm. one player, essentially. You'll have to make a few other moves, but like that solves a pretty big issue you're going to have. You can save money by tagging Pollard, letting Zeke go, moving on. Uh, We'll see if that ends up happening. Let's talk about the franchise tag, though. We know the window opened yesterday. I don't know that either of us expected or expect Gino to be franchise tagged, but there is a name that's expected to be franchise tagged that here in Seattle we're all watching, and that is defensive lineman Deron Payne for the commanders. Multiple sources out of Washington saying that he's expected to be tagged. I feel bad for Deron, man. Like, he has this career year playing on a fifth-year option, and now he's going to get tagged? You could have been two years into a new deal, and instead you've got a fifth-year option and a franchise tag. Yeah, there's some there's some money left out there for him, but um, he'll still get paid. He'll still make a lot of money, but he's definitely not maximizing what he could have been made, but that's just because of the ball club that he's dealing with. And no, I did not expect Geno to get – I don't expect Geno to get franchise tag. If that does happen – then that uh that gives us something to talk about. So we'll see how that goes down. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's gonna happen either. Nah. I wrote up uh, yesterday for SeattleSports.com, just like 
If you really, if you want to tag Gino or not, it comes down to, do you think Gino can help you win in 2023 or maybe 2024? If the answer is, yeah, I think Gino can keep you competitive for maybe two more years, then why not just do a three-year deal with two years guaranteed? And, and what teams, and then say you do franchise tag them and you look for a trade, what teams are willing to do that? You got the, the usual suspects. We've been talking about all these teams all offseason. You got the Jets, Houston, Atlanta. Uh, we'll see what Green Bay is going to do if, if Aaron Rodgers stays there. There's not too many places to move him right now. And if you're acquiring a guy like Geno Smith, you think your team is ready to win, I mm-hmm. feel like, right now. I just don't see too many options for him out there. They're going to get a deal done here in Seattle. Well, there's another quarterback up for a new deal. Actually, quite a few, including Joe Burrow, but this one in particular is going to be Jalen Hurts for Philadelphia. Jalen was asked about a new deal after the end of the Super Bowl and basically said, guys, it's too soon. Don't ask me about this just yet. I'm focused on winning and focused on getting back here. However, A.J. Brown, teammate, wide receiver, was willing to talk about it. He said, quote, if you don't pay this man, just ship me off wherever he's going to. Yeah, that's how important he is. And my advice to Jalen Hurts, you don't need my advice, but my advice will be, man, get your money. Yeah. Now, you don't have to break the back of this organization. You can help them out in certain places, but get your money because as soon as you are done, they will let you go. So, um, you know, you got you to keep your teammates around to ball. He understands that. Yes. But don't cut yourself short. Now, again, that was Brown on the Raw Boom podcast where, like, he's joking around. He's being funny. He says, you got to pay, bro. You talk about pressure. How we get it done. Like, he's he's saying it in a joking way. But I do think he's serious about, like, this guy is absolutely phenomenal. And unless you're going out and getting the second coming of Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or whoever, then, like, let's do this again. Like, we're still a very intact Super Bowl team especially in the NFC. That player ain't out there. I mean, you have the runner-up to the MVP. You want to keep him as long as you can. You have to surround him with the right talent because, yes, he's a passer, and I think he'll get even better at throwing the football. He's not Mm -hmm. bad at all, Mm -hmm. but he's a runner as well. This is an an RPO type of team, so what do you need? You need some big play receivers on the outside. You need a running game. You need an offensive line. That's what happens when you win, though, man. Guys get expensive. Guys start to move around. The GM over there has to go to work. Uh, all right, you are listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Make sure you're subscribed to the Bump and Stacy podcast. If you're not, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. You know the deal. Coming up next, Ty France confirms our suspicions about his 2022 season. How important is he to the 23 Mariners? That's next. Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Our own Shannon Dreyer, Mariners Insider for Seattle Sports, is out at the Peoria Sports Complex where she just spoke with uh, one of our players here, Ty France. Um, this was Shannon talking with Ty uh, about specifically the second half of his season, his second half struggles, and the injury that he got. So, two things here. One, he said that most of those second half struggles stemmed from that June collision in Oakland. Yeah, you know, I think it, it stemmed from that that play in Oakland where the uh, noisy took my arm out. Um, you know, it, there's still some lingering to it. And then I started manipulating my swing to try and avoid, you know, any pain or anything like that. So just created bad habits and kind of got away from my swing. So I think that was the biggest thing. And then wasn't getting the results that I wanted, so it was chasing hits, swinging at bad pitches. So it was just an accumulation of things. And then Ty confirmed that the wrist injury he sustained also came from the same collision. It was the same injury. Oh. Um, it happened on that same play, but when it first happened, um, a lot of the pain was just in my elbow, so that was the main focus. We just wanted to mm-hmm. try and clean that up, and hopefully every, the rest would take care of itself. But 
once that got cleaned up, um, you know, my wrist was taking the brunt of it. So um, it was the same injury. Um, did did what we could to yeah. to maintain and you know push through the rest of the right. season. But if I feel good now. I mean, it's great he feels good now. There were suspicions people had about like, hey, is this all from the same incident? Because uh, initially it was like, oh, it's a hyperextended elbow. Like he's got an elbow injury from this and it looked really gross and bad on the field. And that was believable, right? Because for a minute you were like, did he just dislocate or bend his arm back? Um, turns out that wrist injury was also an outcome of it. And like Ty said, affected everything he was doing at the plate. Explains some of those second half slumps. And really just shows how he's not a complainer neither. He could have come came out and said, "Look, this is what's hurting me. I'm I'm trying this to adjust up there. I am I'm not I don't have the same swing. I don't have the same confidence, but he found a way to push through it." Man, usually a two for one's a good thing. That's a bad thing with that play right there. You got two injuries in one play. <laughs> uh, so we're hoping we see first half Ty France once again because first half of the season, he's one of the best hitters in the game. And that is encouraging. Uh, it it's unfortunate that he went through that that situation, that injury, but it's encouraging to know that he was fighting through some things mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't just him being in a bad place mentally. It's physically. Your mind can tell your body to do something, but if physically you cannot do it, um, your game is going to be compromised. That's what we saw. I love what Ty brings this team and when we're talking about how important is he to the 2023 Mariners, is he Julio Rodriguez or Luis Castillo or even Robbie Ray levels of importance? Like, no, I mean, those guys are going to have like an outsized impact and also have higher ceilings and all of that. But like when you're thinking about what makes a championship roster for the Mariners and what's it going to look like, you're going to have Ty's name in that lineup somewhere. And I kind of look at him the same way I look at JP, which is this team has decided we like this guy. We're sticking with this guy. He's really important to our clubhouse. So if that guy's here, you got to perform. And for the vast majority of the time, Ty France has right there were times last year when you thought like thank god you have ty yeah thank thank god this guy's here especially when mitch was out because you didn't have a lot of guys who could have the kind of like consistent contact or power that he did um and then it just kind of slipped and he was disappointed in himself and like last year was like yeah i'm i suck right now like he was pretty (laughs) blunt about it but like i I don't look at JP and Ty as having the same issues when they struggle. I think JP's comes from uh, getting <clears throat> overused, playing a million games, and then kind of you know not playing well. And Ty's has have come from injuries, but I think that they're both kind of in that same boat of like you want to win, you need these two guys, even if they aren't the two most important names on the roster. You need those two guys, and then how often do you want to play them as well, right? How often do you want to give JP a break? How often do you want to give Ty a break? You're going to need him to have moments late into the season. I just think about the game against the Astros, that 8-7 to seven game. I want to say Ty had like two or three hits during that game. Like those – now, if any sport is a marathon, it is Major League Baseball. 162 games – it's a grime. There's a reason why we see you see two platoons or whatnot and guys taking breaks. So at this point in Ty's career, how old is he? He is 28 years old. Yeah, uh, he can probably go. But as a skipper, as you know, the the manager of this thing, sometimes you got to sit him down. And we heard service say that too about JP is that he's got to be more stern about look. You have to rest because we need you later. I think that's what you do with guys like Ty France as well because when he's going. Um, This whole team seems like they're just in a nice little groove. Do you guys know how many people I see every time we talk about Ty France are like, oh, you got to make sure to spell him a bit. Immediately text in with one name. Guess the name that people immediately ask about. Who that? Evan White. 
It just mm-hmm. um, right away. It's just lingering. like, are we going to see Evan White again? Please tell me we're going to see Evan White again. Curtis, do you know the latest on what Evan White is up to in the minors? I haven't been tracking him at all. He finished the year in Tacoma last year. Didn't swing the bat too, too well, but he's been shagging balls in uh, in the outfield. We've seen a couple of times in uh, just pictures from camp right now. Because I think it's fair for people to say like, hey, you don't have Carlos Santana, who kind of was that guy for you when mm-hmm. you, you know, mostly a DH, but like would occasionally help out at first. Like, is are, is Evan White going to get a second chance to be able to do it? I mean, he was, what, what was he known for? His glove, right? We know that he's going to be okay at first base. Um, he got paid, what, his 20 mil or something like that. A little premature, if you ask some people. But, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to have that because you see the effects of not having Thai friends in that lineup. It's already not a deep lineup when it comes to bats, when it comes to power, getting on base. You lose a guy like France. You lose you lose Ty, Julio, Gino, um, and maybe one other two guys. This lineup is completely different. Mm-hmm. You don't have the same pop, the same effectiveness. So you do whatever you can. And if that's Evan White... Then uh, sprinkle them. Get them in I there know. a little bit. I just, I'm glad that Ty France is feeling healthy because during that first half, before he got injured, he was slashing 316, 390, 476, importantly for 867 OPS, right? Like getting that hitter back is huge. And you're not always or consistently going to be that guy, but you were that guy for a good chunk of the season. We know that that's the hitter Ty France can be. I'm really excited to see the potential of this lineup. And I, I've been kind of like doomsday about it because I wanted so much more. But you have a lot of guys where at their ceiling, now it's rare that everyone is able to hit their ceiling at the same time, but where at their ceiling, they're great players. And I think Ty can be one of those. So we'll see what they look like uh, coming out of camp right now, though. They're just getting started. You can find Shannon's article up on seattlesports.com right now. It's her latest Mariner's Notebook. It's called Mariner's Notebook, Ty France Refreshed After Injuries. Um, So uh, that one up on the homepage. If you're listening to us on the app, you can just click News, and then you can find that article in there. I think the Mariner's section is the first thing that pops up. So lots of stuff from Ty, and that's where this uh, sound comes from, is Shannon's interview with Ty one-on-one. Uh, all right, we're switching gears from Mariners to Seahawks. We're getting to our conversation about roster building. The Seahawks have a lot of talent. They also have a lot of money invested in that talent, but is it invested in the right places? Looking at one other really successful team tells us otherwise. That's next.